One of the most phenomenal inventions in the history of the world is the light bulb. That's a beautiful thing. There have been many times that, uh, you know, it's been late at night and I've been doing something crazy like playing a video game. And I've thought to myself, wow. I mean, can you imagine that they did this, you know, I mean, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, let alone 100 years ago? What were they doing with this time right now? They were sleeping because there was nothing else they could do. There have been times that I've read a story at the light bulb to my children and thought, wow, when the sun went down 500 years ago, this was an impossibility. Our world is entirely different because of the light bulb. We are a 24-7 society. We do not have to ever sit in darkness in this world. We never have to sit in darkness. We can always illuminate our life. And that's just an incredible gift that we've gotten. It's incredible. Today, Jesus talks about darkness and light in chapter 3 of the, uh, the Gospel of John. He talks about darkness and light and the difference between the two. So let's, let's go ahead and turn there if we could. John chapter 3. We're going to start with verse uh, 14, and we're going to read through verse 21. John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. The words will be on the screen. If you have them in your scripture, I invite you to follow them there as well. But if you would, would you join me in standing as we read God's word today? Some of you are so sharp, I don't even need to ask. That's impressive. We see who the A students are in this congregation. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son." This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You may be seated. Jesus here gets a visit from Nicodemus, who was a holy man, a Pharisee in Israel. Nicodemus, interestingly enough, chooses this moment to come to Jesus at night. So we start out beginning, the holy man of Israel has chosen to come under the scene of darkness to come and approach Jesus. So we already have a dark stage set here where Nicodemus, against the will of his fellow Pharisees, wants to hear Jesus out. And so he begins talking with Jesus, and Jesus wants to talk about, interestingly enough, darkness. 
Jesus begins to talk about darkness in a way that's sort of different than we talk about darkness, I think. So often in the church, when we talk about darkness, we talk about sin and we accuse the world of being dark, as if the world is what brings sin about. But look at the actual language that Jesus uses here. In verse 316, which of course we all know, it says, God loved the world. In verse 17, it says, God does not seek to condemn the world. In verse 19, it says, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness. So Jesus himself here is saying, it's not the world in and of itself that is dark. But that's so often how we pose it in the world. Well, when you leave church today, you're going to head out into that dark world filled with sin. Jesus here is saying, no, no, no. Now that I'm here, light has come into the world. There's hope in this place. It's not the world who is dark. He goes on to say, men, humanity, us, we have chosen darkness. We have chosen it. It's not as if going into the world and living this life, the only option is darkness. Quite the opposite. Jesus here is accusing humanity as having chosen darkness as a way of life. Well, what is darkness? Darkness is a place where you hide. A darkness is a place where you cannot be seen. Darkness is where secrecy rules. Darkness is about hiddenness. All right? If we were to turn the lights off in this place today, I could pull off just about any gesture I wanted. Not that I would, okay? But I could. And you couldn't see what my true self was. You wouldn't know my character. You wouldn't know my thoughts or my opinions, who I was pointing at, who I was staring at when I was speaking. You wouldn't know who I was aiming at. You wouldn't know anything because darkness would have hidden me. So darkness in so many ways, Jesus is saying, is the place that we choose to hide. We choose to hide in darkness so that we will not be seen. He goes on to say that light exposes us and that we can choose to step into the light. We can choose to go into the light that he provides. To go into the light means to remove the safety of hiddenness. It means to step aside and I mean, confess is the church word that we use and say, I will not hide anymore behind the darkness of this world. I will not any longer choose to be secretive. I will not any longer hide who I am. I will instead step out into light and allow my true character to shine. But if we're stepping out into the light, Jesus is saying here, what we're truly doing is allowing him to shine through us. No more secrets. No more hiddenness, no more lies, just transparency, just the work of God through me for the world to see. This is a very difficult step to make, certainly. But Jesus says it's possible, it's possible to leave the darkness of the world and step into the light. Because as he starts this here, he says, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the desert so the Son of Man will be lifted up. That's our ticket. That's how we get out of darkness and into light. That's how we leave a life of sin and, uh, and brokenness and, uh, and distance. That's how we leave the, that behind, is through the Son of Man who's been lifted up like a snake in the desert. Well, that's a weird thing, isn't it? 
What did Moses do with this snake in the desert? It seems like we should probably go and research that for a minute. That can be found in Numbers chapter 21. The word should be on the screen if you just want to follow along real quick while I read that story to you. Jesus says he is like the snake in the desert. He will be lifted up. Now this is what happens with it, the snake in the desert. The Israelites had been freed from their own darkness. They had been enslaved in Israel for generations now. They were working from the time the sun came up in the morning until the time the sun went down at night. Backbreaking uh, labor that just worked their fingers to the bone. All right, And they weren't getting an ounce of profit out of their work. Everything they did helped Egypt instead of themselves. There was no way for them to get ahead in life. They were just abused and used. Life was difficult for them. And God heard their cries. God saw their pain, and he brought them out of that darkness that was in Egypt, led them through the Red Sea, and promised them ultimate hope of a promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey that he would bring them to. But there was no teleport. There was no simple way to this hope. There was a long path, a difficult path through desert, through days of there not quite being enough water to satisfy them. There was a path that, that with, a, with just a lot of people where there was going to be conflict. There was a path where food was going to be scarce. But all the Israelites had to do was either look back and see how God had delivered them or look forward and see the promises that this God who had been with them all along had promised them. But instead, having grumbled once and heard their cries, having had God heard their cries, they've chosen instead to grumble once more. And so this is the story of that. Whenever it says they in here, they're referring to the Israelites. Numbers chapter 21. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest the miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake and anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. So this is a fascinating story here. We have a people who can't remember back to what God had done for them. We have a people who can't quite look forward to what God has in store for them. And they're once again caught in the middle grumbling. And the story here isn't that uh, God didn't protect them from the snakes. God here is so distraught with their grumbling, with their lack of appreciation, from their lack of humble hearts, God sends the snakes into camp. Well, that's... That's not really the lovey-dovey Jesus from Sunday school that I remember. God sends their problem to them. 
He sends them into the camp, and this camp, these venomous snakes, start biting the Israelites one after another. It's as if God is saying, and I don't want to put words in his mouth here, but I'll give you something to complain about. And so, one by one, they're getting bit, and they're dying, and the people, once again, they grumble. But instead of complaining, they, they turn to God, and they say, God, only you can save us from this terrible situation. And God, who just moments ago was burning with anger for the fact that they could not see his plan, now sends salvation to them. God overlooks his own anger at the people, and he sends salvation to them. He tells Moses to do the most odd of things, to build a bronze snake, tie it to a pole, and stand in the middle of hundreds of people writhing in venom, and just hold the pole in the air. Now, this must have been a scene to see. And so these people writhing from a snake bite, if they will turn and cast their gaze upon this bronze snake, they will be healed. Simple as that. And one after another, the afflicted people turn and see this pole with a snake on it raised up, and one by one they're healed. And Jesus says that he's going to do just that for people living in darkness. That's exactly what his plan is. And he's just laying out for Nicodemus what his vision is. I will be risen up just like that snake on a pole. Well, when was Jesus risen up? On the cross, of course. So Jesus is saying, I have come so that I can be risen up on a cross for the world to turn their gaze upon me and see how I have borne the, the, the darkness of this world upon myself so that they no longer have to live in it anymore. Their afflictions can be healed when I am risen up for all to see. Well, that's tremendous. Well, that is tremendous. But yet... We all know that today, even though Jesus has already gone through the historical act of being risen up on the cross so that we can be removed from darkness, we still talk about the darkness of the world all the time because it still reigns. Because, as Jesus tells us here, men, humanity, has chosen to allow it to reign. Sometimes we allow darkness to reign without even sinning. Sometimes we willfully choose to sin and we dig ourselves further into the darkness. Darkness, it seems, based on Jesus' own words in chapter 3, is a choice that we make. We make a choice to live in darkness whenever we choose to do things like this, whenever we choose to live in shame, whenever we choose to live in guilt. Whenever we let sadness reign, whenever we have loss, grief, selfishness, lust, lack of self-control, self-loathing, laziness, greed, all of these things are things that we grumble about, things that we complain about. These are places of darkness where we just pull ourselves further into our shell and we let these things dominate who we are and our personality and our character and our life instead of wondering what would happen if we turned our gaze off of me? Even if we're justified to feel these things, what would happen if we turned our gaze off of me 
and returned our gaze to the one who was raised up like that snake in the desert. Maybe, maybe God is still healing his afflicted people through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's not to say that things that bring us into the darkness aren't justified. You are absolutely justified to feel darkness when you've experienced loss. You are absolutely justified to feel darkness when you can't control yourself or when you're sad or when you're guilty. There's, justif- there's a justification in that. But the question is, is, can we lay down our justifications for darkness and step into light? Remembering what God has done for us in the past and also anticipating the hope of his future. Can we live in light even though there's darkness in this world? I brought a a video to share with you today. It's a tremendous story of someone who was dealt incredible darkness. Just incredible darkness. And they just ate that darkness up. Ate it up. It turns out that this person is a moderately famous pastor just ate the darkness up that that he had been dealt. He just dug further and further into darkness instead of stepping out into the light that he knew better to live in. This is the story about how he found that there's light in this world, even when there's hurt. Let's watch the story together. I love being a pastor. You get to walk with people in the best of times and the worst of times. And over the years, I have dealt with all sorts of people in all sorts of circumstances. And my joy has been to give them a sense of hope. Every Christmas, we would do what was called Festival of Lights. For me, Christmas was really the most exciting time of the year. It was family and friends and gifts and trees and mangers. But most of all, Christmas was about hope, joy, and peace. It was uplifting and exciting. But that was the Christmas I learned I was dying. I thought This will be my last Christmas. I didn't want to show up at the festival. I didn't want to see people, be around people, asking me how I was doing. I didn't want to go. I wanted to sit home alone. 
My wife said, you need to go. People need to hear what you have to say. ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, is a degenerative disease, which means it gets worse and worse. Eventually, it affects swallowing, chewing, breathing, and when the lungs go, you end up dying. They don't know what causes it, and there's no cure. Basically, they said, you have two to five years to live. My wife has become the hands in my life when my hands don't work right. I wanted to see my daughter get married, walk her down the aisle, wanted to watch my grandkids grow up. been around people with feeding tubes and ventilators and whenever I see someone like that I'm seeing a reflection of my own future. When you're told you're dying and the process of dying is awful, there's not much hope in that. to show up at the festival. And my wife said, you have to go. So I got in my truck, I was driving, and my phone rang, and it was Billy. Billy has more stuff wrong with him than most people I've ever met. For over 20 years, he was addicted to heroin He's HIV positive. He has hepatitis B. He's been through cancer, but he's still alive. We talked, and I was telling him all that was going on. And he has kind of a high-pitched New York accent. He said, hey, you need to be a yogi bear or a Christian. And I'm thinking, what? I had no clue, no clue what he was talking about. He's a tad off the wall, to say the least.
So I asked him, what do you mean? He said, it ain't over till it's over. Billy has the worst of the worst. His wife died in his arms. His son he has never found to this day. And in spite of all of that, he's hopeful. Every human being knows they're going to die. The difference is I feel it with every twitch in my muscles. I feel it in the depths of my being. I realized that I was really dying because I had given up. I had considered my life as over. But it wasn't. The doctors gave me two to five years. That was over 10 years ago. If I'd given up and laid down to die, I would have missed walking my daughter down the aisle. I would have missed the birth of all five grandchildren. I would say Billy's phone call was God speaking to me with a New York accent. Billy, of all people, should have considered his life over. And he was saying, it ain't over till it's over. <laughs> and I realize there is profound truth in that. I can't do the New York accent. I, I didn't expect another Christmas. And now I've had ten. And the more I have, the more I want. I have my life to share, my own story to share. One day it will be over, but it's not about how long I have left. It's about how I spend the time I do have. There's something that strikes me about that story of Moses with the snake on the pole. Just the very presence of the snake on the pole in camp didn't save the people. As they were dying and struggling and hurting, it says they had to turn and look at it.
The very presence of Christ in this world couldn't take Nicodemus out of his darkness and put him into light. That wasn't enough. Not even this conversation did it immediately. Nicodemus needed to make a choice that light was even possible. In the midst of this time that we're in life, there have been moments that God has been very good to us when we've been caught in despair, we've been caught in sin, caught in hurt, caught in anger and frustration, whatever. God has been good in those days. He promises in the future that he's going to be good to us again, and he has a promised land for us to be with him. In the meantime, there's going to be times of darkness where we're very tempted to just retreat. But we have a choice. We can either turn and look at the Christ who was crucified so that we can live in light and see what he has done for us so that we can do that. Or we can continue to choose darkness. Nicodemus is an interesting story. He initiated this conversation. He wanted to sort of probe at Jesus in a time where he wasn't, wasn't threatening to Jesus as a, a teacher of the law. Nicodemus isn't heard from again after this story until Jesus is taken off the cross. Nicodemus isn't there for the miracles, for the sayings, for the parables. Nicodemus chose in the end to look at that Christ on the cross and say, yeah, I see what he's done. And Nicodemus in the Gospel of John is there to take him down and to properly care for him. Nicodemus chose light even though it was countercultural. As hard as this life is, as much things as it throws at you, as much as sin ensnarls, as much as the, the future is terrifying, as much as it hurts right now, whatever, God is providing light in the midst of darkness. And the light will finally win. We have today before us two choices, to choose darkness or to choose light. Choose light. Can we have a final song today? If that story of, uh, of Ed spoke to you at all today, the story of Moses or the story of Jesus spoken to you today, the altar is certainly open. And as musicians are coming, you are very invited to come forward and approach that Savior who was raised up before the world on our behalf and is offering you light in the midst of your darkness. Would you stand with me as we say a prayer of benediction? Lord, your throne was not adorned with gold, gems, and pricey things, but your thorn was a cross of, with nails and thorns for a crown. And when you could have elevated yourself to the highest place, 
You simply rose onto a cross, no different than a snake on a pole. Lord, we see what you have done. We recognize the dark places of this world. We recognize our own choices sometimes to live in that darkness. But we turn our eyes to you today. We focus on you. And we ask, oh God, would you draw us into the light. The place where you live. And the place you've called us to live as well. We want to be your servant, God, whatever that means. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in him from this place today. God is good.